Hello and welcome to the Cognitive Engineering Podcast produced by me, Fraser McGrew, for Aleph Insights. In this series of podcasts, we take a look at interesting topics and discuss what we think they tell us about analysis and decision making. I'm here with Nick Hare and Peter Coghill of Aleph Insights, and this week we're discussing whether revenge works. Nick, does revenge work? Well, um... You probably noticed at the beginning of January that the U.S. Uh, assassinated uh, an Iranian general, General Soleimani, who was very popular, very senior and well-known. Um, and in revenge, the uh, the Iranians fired a bunch of ballistic missiles at uh, U.S. bases in Iraq. Um, and because, well, it seems that because they were on high alert for american re, re, sort of re, retaliation mm-hmm. uh shot down an airliner mm. um anyway this kind of you know that looks very like what you often hear about which is this sort of cycle of revenge and um yeah, revenge often does seem to make things worse and we we're always told that we shouldn't be vengeful and stuff mm. but I, i'm not sure because i mean you know people love revenge most films are about revenge you get revenge uh, people people love the idea of taking revenge on their enemies and fantasize about it. Yeah. So I'm I'm wondering, well, does it actually is revenge sometimes a good thing? And if so, when? Okay. Wow. Okay. Uh, I feel my blood sort of rising yeah. already when I think of the wrongs that the have been done to me in yeah. the past. Yes. Um, Peter, um, anything you want to weigh in with at this point? Uh, well, I, I think it's in, it's an interesting topic because it on a sort of micro level uh, the the way you conduct yourself in conversation with other people, and the, but also the way that you conduct yourself with your own internal monologue when you're thinking about things mm. and doing your analysis, or or even just day to day perceiving and understanding the world, mm-hmm. I think they I think they're heavily related. So this is a, an interesting topic in our sort of general theme about being a good analyst. So okay, so this is one of those things when we think about revenge, we tend to think, or I tend to think about it on a very personal level. Um, there's quite a few things I've got on my list with with you two guys actually. Um, but anyway, yeah. When we when well, we're, we're locked in a vendetta, of course. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> Cycle so, of hate. That's it. So I tend to think of it on a very personal level. However, you know what we tend to talk about here is on an organisational level, uh, on an institutional level, and indeed the example that you gave there um, with what happened with uh, uh, the US and Iran is an institutional thing. Um, so what's my question? Um, yeah, I, I, how can we start thinking about this from an institutional point of view? Does it does it make sense to talk about revenge from an institutional? Well, point I think of view? institute. I think it, we'll probably get to the issue of institutions because, in some way, you could see that the, our entire legal institution uh, system, uh, at least in in the West, is, is very much designed to take the place of revenge. Mm. Um, and there's no doubt that people have a moral downer on revenge. I mean, if you look at all the great thinkers in history, such as Yoda, you know, who said that uh, <laughs> fear is the path to the dark side because it leads to anger and that leads to hate, which, of course, leads to suffering. Um, but there's also uh, sort of various proverbs which have been attributed to people like Confucius and Gandhi, where if you want revenge, then dig two graves and an eye for an eye leaves everybody blind. And of course, um, I don't know if you know much about uh, theology, but there's a guy called Jesus. Right. He famously said, if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also, mm. rather than punching his lights out, which you or I might be tempted to do. Mm. Mm. Um, so on one hand, everyone disapproves of revenge, mm. right? But at the same time, 
we bloody love it right not only uh, uh, um, so just like not i mean from a kind of fundamental level animals take revenge there's you know it's been observed in quite a lot of the yeah yeah so and, and and i think by revenge here what i'm thinking of particularly is a kind of uh, almost like a costly activity that you undertake to impose a bigger cost on someone else you know, there's no constructive element to revenge. You're not uh, uh, getting compensation from someone. You're not trying to get back from them something they've taken. You're trying to hurt them because they hurt you. Mm. So it's not, you know, so that's it's puzzling like superficially because you'd think, well, why would we have evolved to undertake costly actions which don't actually benefit us? Mm. There's no benefit. So there must be, but the, the fact that animals do it show that there is something quite fundamental going on. Um, and of course... You know, as I said, I, I think that people people really like the idea of revenge and get very kind of uh, emotionally invested in it. I, I, I'm one of several thousand people who, who subscribe to a Reddit a subreddit called Pro Revenge, mm. and they've got some fan, fantastic. <laughs> I mean, I got, I'll read you. Shall I read you some of the? I definitely yeah. yeah. So these are these are the the some of the stories on Pro Revenge. You stole my car. I will make you homeless. My hag of a stepmom gave away my PlayStation 4 while I was away in college, so I rented out her house while she was on her honeymoon with her newest husband. <laughs> a woman let her dog shit on the airport floor, so I shit on her plans. <laughs> Boyfriend of five years cheated on me, so I ruined his precious RuneScape account. Um, Neighbours ran over fence. Dad installed concrete fence that wrecked eight of their cars. And my favourite is, I got back at childhood bullies by destroying an entire town. <laughs> anyway, it's a, always a good read. It's a very good subreddit. You know, it's just the the, the good stories are incredibly fun to read because you, you realise, you you know, the person who's writing it is always the hero. And uh, and they've been horribly wronged by someone, you know, by an evil person. And they always get their own back in a, in a fantastically overblown way. Um, and then, of course, you know, you're full of... There's, I mean, almost. I mean, so many films have that as an as an element as well. You know that the in order to set up, you know, the character arc, the character has to be has to have some you know annoying challenge put there by the antagonist. Mm. The antagonist has to has to have hurt them in some way, and then them winning in the end is satisfying because you because the um the the antagonist you know gets gets their dis- just desserts so um i mean i was yeah. reading so a- so anyway yeah so there's a bit of a di- dichotomy on one hand we go around disapproving of revenge all the time like nobody nobody says oh revenge is brilliant we should do it more um and yet we all love it so so uh, coming on to peter but just before we do i was reading a, a book about storytelling recently and one of the things it said is exactly as you've just said any good story you've got your hero your hero has to have uh challenges um, and every good story has to have a villain, um, and 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 of course, what we like in a story is seeing that villain sort of getting getting his or her just desserts. Um, and I don't know if this is what you're leading towards, Peter, but we, I can cer- we can certainly see why the idea of revenge appeals, unless it's being wrought on us, I suppose. Um, but I guess what's the why why not, uh, Peter? Or maybe you want to go on a different angle. I don't know. Uh, well, I was going to be terribly reductionist and uh, try to explain away our desire for revenge. Uh, seems probably can be explained a lot by uh, evolution and particularly sort of social evolution. Okay. Uh, so we, we our desire for revenge probably uh, comes from us having evolved into social creatures and as a such need to have mechanisms for enforcing certain social norms, which are uh, which are good on aggregate for for the entire social group so uh revenge 
the desire for revenge, the desire to punish somebody who's wronged you, the, the compulsion to seek revenge seems to be a good way of enforcing a social norm. Yeah. So if you if you're wronged, uh, you you. You, you wrong somebody else in return and as long as they understand that they're, you're, they're being wronged because they wronged somebody in the first place then they're perhaps less likely to to do that in the future so it's sort of it it in aggregate would kind of steer people towards a a uh, compliant way of behaving with each other that means that we can cooperate yes kind of a community management self-policing system exactly yeah right. so it's, but it's an emergent property i think of us being social creatures yeah it's a kind of game theory solution yeah. To to the the problem of like enforcing a good um the kind of good prisoners dilemma outcome rather than Indeed. the bad prisoners and dilemma. There's a there's a, I think I've we've cited this before a number of times probably on previous podcasts. There was a really interesting experiment by Robert Axelrod in early early eighties uh, examining competing algorithms that were competing over a sort of limited resource and uh they could uh, it's a very pure game theory kind of experiment under a repeated pro- under a repeated prisoners di- dilemma situation mm. where um you had a big competition of lots of different algorithms that were competed one on one and if they cooperated with each other they would both get a reward if one dissented they would both get less of a reward but one of them would get more and if they and if they both dissented then they get nothing or very little reward um and the 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 algorithm that that was the most effective was the tit, tit for tat algorithm which was also one of the most simple which would always cooperate until some until the competing algorithm uh, uh dissented in which case it would punish it once and then go back to cooperating with it oh, yeah, well it would go back to cooperating if it if it then cooperated. It basically then copy co- what it did last time yeah but it would start by cooperating yeah yeah, yeah. so it's it, it so it's it, and that sort of that is analogous with with the with the, the desire for revenge revenge is often uh you want it immediately you're compelled to, to get it immediately um uh and and it's often once you've sat once you're satisfied that you've got revenge, you you're then willing to cooperate again. Mm. Yeah, no, it's I hadn't thought about the um, about revenge as almost the opposite of cooperation. Um, I mean, Axelrod's book, The Evolution of Corporate Cooperation, is something that everyone should read. It's such a brilliant, very short, but really insight. It's one of those books where you think, oh, this is a concept I've needed my entire life. It's got a very high epiphany per page rate. Yeah, exactly. And you and you, but you, you know, so he t- talks about loads of examples. Uh, like, I mean, the 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 evolution of truces in the in the trenches, for example, where um, you know they they kind of got to the provided it was the same units were facing each other on a repeated basis. They they kind of evolved letting each other get on with it and not not con- not taking pot shots when you could because all that would happen was the the enemy would take pot shots at you then yeah and nobody would be better a- off. aiming to miss and then having playing football matches yeah exactly yeah. um so i think i mean i think yeah there's no doubt peter's right in in that the um the it's a very fundamental thing it's not something we work out we don't uh, acculturate into revenge we don't uh, have to learn to take revenge it's something very fundamental and and actually Peter mentioned something there which is all uh, to do with the person knowing why you're why they're being punished and actually that that turns out to be very important mm. people get a sense of relief when a wrongdoer is 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 hurt <clears throat> but only if the wrongdoer knows they're being hurt because they did wrong 
<laughs> apparently people get no psychological relief from seeing a wrongdoer hurt if they're not able if they're not kind of told this is why this is happening to you yeah. um yeah, yeah. but i think the the question uh is like how have we managed to get away from that how have we managed to supplant revenge with kind of legalized retribution um I got a, um, so just to think about the difference, I, I found a, a list of sort of Robert Nozick's list of, of what the difference is, um, <clears throat> which is revenge is for an injury, whereas retribution is for a wrong. Um, retribution has uh, some kind of limit to the amount of punishment, according to, which is which is graded against the the level of seriousness of the offence, whereas revenge doesn't necessarily have that. And and I think that's one of the reasons you get these kind of vendettas, you get these cycles of revenge, mm -hmm. because that that if if the wrong you you visit on the person who's wronged you is the same or greater then the total amount of wrong is going to increase. You know, yeah. um, there's the, a personal element to revenge, um, whereas a, an agent of, re of re retribution doesn't have to have a personal side. So we we get the state, we get we get you know okay. the, to to do the retribution for us. Yeah. Um, but we we don't do it ourselves. Um, there's also an emotionality to revenge, which there isn't in retribution. And um, revenge also doesn't have a generality. So in other words, revenge it does not provide a rule like whereas what you want really is a set of rules uh, to, that we can all agree on um whereas revenge is very much about an act one act and another act and another act rather than um what is the general rule that we're following here so so i think yeah the point is that um we have managed to get ourselves into a, a yeah almost certainly a better uh, equilibrium where we sort of keep a lid on revenge maybe just let it out through computer games and hollywood films mm. um because uh, actually it is better and it, and if you look at um you know the the kind of indicators of um of the ki the kinds of where you have still have honor cultures which uh, is a very big thing and it's contrasted usually with sort of cultures of law um where you have honor cultures actually you know things seem worse you know there's more violence yeah. um and uh so so it's probably the case that letting revenge uh take over letting revenge be the predominant way that you do justice probably is worse in that sense and this is this is i guess what happened in 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 what sparked this conversation which is the example of you know the us and iran uh falling out and um um and iran wreaking vengeance uh, or seeking to re wreak revenge for um it, that assassination and i guess that's where the norms and, and the rules and the international set of uh, rules uh broke down and that's where we came into this almost like a personal vengeance thing well although could you it's, say the problem is that they don't really exist i mean i think the the uh you, you know it's a, the, there's a kind of uh, there's a there's a lot of people who think that honor cultures are not um a driver necessarily but a cause, uh, but but an effect of a certain set of um, sort of resources and constraints. So if if you do not have um, you know readily available uh, sort of collective force, so you know if you live a long way from the nearest law enforcement, for example, um, if there are relatively scarce resources, so that you know someone taking your stuff is particularly bad, 
um, then then you will tend to get an honor culture emerging. And it's interesting if you look at the kinds of places where where you where you have strong honor cultures. And so, for example, the the U.S. the south southern U.S. states versus the northern ones, um, you know, which which are sort of predominantly rural and quite sparsely populated compared to the heavily urbanized north, and and that distinction is there. Um, <clears throat> you know then then um uh what did you say because i was getting on i was talking about um whether in terms of international rule oh yeah yeah then then you might you might think well actually the international uh the international system is is still in the in the honor culture phase because we don't have there's no one we can call on yeah, there's no know. unified there's no, central yeah there's no there's uh, no yeah, credible international uh, enforcement mechanism yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm not convinced it, it the analogy uh, translates directly to state level. I think when it comes to states, it's not a less about it's less about a sense of honour and being wronged. I think it's more a sense of not wanting to appear weak. So if you allow your top dip, top generals to be killed and you do nothing about it, you look a bit weedy, and hmm. people will treat you thus and try to take advantage of you more. I think it's more that. But you've just described an honour culture. That is essentially yeah. the gist of it. Yeah, well, but, no, not, but also not, there's a domestic element yeah, to international not, politics as well, where you've got your domestic audience who you need yeah, to satisfy It's as not well. a sense of honour in the sort of sense that, you know, an eye for an eye, you know, we, it's more calculated. It's slightly more, it's slightly more intelligent in that it's a calculated uh, decision about how you're perceived by others. But but I I mean I think the characteristics of honor culture are very much about rep, uh, reputation. In fact, I've seen a distinction drawn that says that you know honor cultures are about reputation, whereas um, legal cultures are about dignity. So in other words, about the individual and how we treat individuals, rather than about your reputation per mm. se. Like, is what do you deserve as a person, not what do you deserve because you're a person of high standing and you and you look strong in front of the community. So I think I don't know. I think I think we agree, but we yeah, probably I think, just disagree. I, I, just, on I think yeah. I, I think what I'm saying is that the mechanism is slightly different, but maybe the outcomes the same. But maybe the the kind of process and that's what is slightly different. But actually, it boils down to more or less the same thing at a sort of aggregate level. Hmm. Yeah. Um, but the the but yeah. So what was why what I what I'd quite like to just dip, brief, briefly dip into yeah. is the mo the modern punitive systems are much less about kind of uh, retaliation. They're more about well, they try to be more about rehabilitation. rehabilitation. Yeah. So, um, you, although you might be satisfied that somebody's tried and found guilty of a crime and then has a as a as a has a uh, a, a period in 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 prison, um, the the state tries to make that stay that stay in prison more about rehabilitating that person, preventing them from reoffending. Re rather than just as pure punishment they're not just locked up and it's just left sort of put in solitary and yeah and then left to it um there are you know they try to sort of give them skills and prepare them to be uh, a, a functioning member of society when, when, on their release so if you took that to the extreme and actually well there is no prison anymore and you are just rehabilitated in open society but mm. you know maybe perhaps sort of under under you you're monitored in some way mm. uh would i think that that would perhaps sort of less be less satisfying to to the victim of the crime for sure i was thinking about a, this in the context of a cake a cake based experiment which is let's say that someone um 
a cake a, a cake thief comes and steals one of your cakes you had two cakes and you and you worked the sweat of your brow mm. uh, to get these cakes and a cake thief comes and gets one of your cakes and takes it away um and then the cake fairy comes up mm. and says um oh well don't worry i'll i'll magic up an extra cake a fairy uh, cake a, a fairy cake why not Here's your extra cake, so you're no worse off now. Mm. Um, are we all back to normal? Are we back Definitely to square not. one now? Definitely, Definitely not. not. <laughs> that cake thief needs to be punished. He needs to have his cake taken away. It's not his cake. Yeah. And I and I think, um, yeah, it's interesting uh, what Peter's talking about there because I think there is a big clash between, um, and, and it certainly happens from, on a kind of, you know, you can. The more you learn about why the law is the way it is, the more you're kind of content with it. But an intuitive appreciation of the law uh, would see it as very favourable to wrongdoers because we want, you know, things like the presumption of innocence, yeah, where you yeah, think, well, yeah. this guy's a, you know, some scumbag. It's his twenty-fifth offence, um, and you know, but we still have to, and we know he did it, but we've got to treat him like he's got this the same shield of innocence as some completely pure white, you know, wrongfully accused guy, mm. and um, and we're not allowed to mention his previous offences in court mm. again. And you think, well, why? Because I mean, this guy's asking for it. You know, he's been <laughs> he's been breaking into cars all all you know all his life, and and there's quite a few aspects of the legal system which are you know are really counterintuitive, uh, but which are good. It's still good, you know. In your yeah, in your in your your thought experiment there, I think I would probably work with the cake thief to try and capture the cake theory cake fairy. Given that cakes can be magicked up and seem to be a an inexhaustible. Yeah, and you just put the cake fairy into a tiny little cage and force her to create. Yeah, cakes. put put it yeah. in a jar and get it just making cakes all the time, yeah. and then we can uh, be yeah. cook, cook, cook the cakes. Well. <laughs> Um, okay, before there's... until the Hellfire Fairy pops up and starts punishing <laughs> you. Yeah. Um, before we finish off, I mean, there's something I want to move on to, but before we finish off, is there anything you, any sort of final points you want to make? Well, yeah, just very briefly, I mentioned at the start. It's I, I think it's an interesting thing to study in terms of being a good analyst and having productive discussions. Um, I'm reading a book at the moment, um, so I can't. I, I'm not I've not finished it, so I don't know how it ends. But uh, it's the it's why it's called Why We're Yelling: The Art of Pr uh, Productive Disagreement by Buster Benson. It's mm. a good read. It's very short. It's a sort of it's in the style of a sort of light health self help kind of book. But he 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 talks about how arguments work mm. and how product how they can be made more productive by just being more aware of how your conducting yourself um and he, he does so he does so through nice analogies about uh, with uh, talking about the modes of thinking that you're going through when you're when you're selecting what you're saying and things worth a read and that, but I, a lot of it strikes me as being kind of like revenge based because when you get in a in a heated argument a non-productive argument yeah it often devolves down uh another a nice little model by graham uh, paul graham um which he calls the um the disagreement hierarchy so productive arguments really center on um refuting facts like talking about the world and how you know w what is true mm. and then at the very bottom of the hierarchy where uh, sadly most kind of arguments happen it resorts to sort of ad hominem attacks and name calling and things where you're actually not just talking about the thing you're talking about anymore you're now talking about each other and so really yeah, it should be like well i've i've looked very hard at the data 
and it turns out that you're an ass. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. thing. Well, I, I that'd need, be a, that'd be a productive. I need to <laughs> read that book actually because I think one of the problems I have in life is that, as you know, that I am a lover of truth. I'm a lover of oh yeah of, of yeah. rationale. And and actually, one and one of the things actually I like about when when we all chat is we can have all sorts of disagreements and shouting gets quite heated. But actually, it's just talking through ideas and it's 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 I, I i think there's nothing sort of personal in it okay but i have lots of sort of disagreements with people at work and um it very quickly gets yes. um gets very personal I, I would say that they need to read the book not you yeah <laughs> yeah but i think I, I i think this is we've we've opened a box to a new pod to another podcast because i think this this issue of argument culture is really interesting yeah. and, it, and it does as you suggest very very widely uh between families you know that i mean i come from a very hugely argumentative family mm. um but my uh my partner's family never argued they, and they right. and they and they see what i would consider to be a little bit of a kind of let's toss this idea about and have a and have a chat about it as as being uh, uh you know a kind of awkward argument type yeah. situation mm. so so yeah i think but i think this is yeah we, we i think it's worth putting noting this down yeah anyway a... you're completely wrong but i know you don't mind me <laughs> saying that um look just before we finish off um we can't sort of finish off without talking about um do you have any favorite personal revenge stories that have involved yourself either as being the wreaker of said vengeance well, I guess, and we don't want any revenge stories where people are getting their own back on us. No, I, I, and and no doubt. I mean, we must have gone through life slighting people, and I think actually the most angry I've been uh, at people are, are just are things that people do on, on in public on the tube. You know, when they kind of don't get out of your way when you say excuse me, or they or they blame you for doing something which you didn't do. Yeah, um, or they tut at you when you want to get off the tube, and that's yeah. But but the, <laughs> but no, I, it's only an unsatisfied revenge story, which is that when I was um, when I was about thirteen. We yeah. had a, 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 a one another teacher uh, took over the, this class that I was in for the session, and I don't know if he had marking to do or something, but he just said we've got to be totally quiet, right? And um, uh, and I I asked uh, Yamin next to me if I could borrow his his rubber. I just said, can I, you know, whispered it, can I borrow your rubber? Because I was doing some homework, and this guy just decided that this was his moment to yeah, take yeah. out all his personal anger on me and he stood me up and he just shouted at me like a sergeant major bawling someone out like oh, you think you're special do you you think you you think that you're different from everyone else that you can talk and you it's total shit um this guy uh, mr cook he was called uh i have i am yet to wreak my vengeance but i will so if you're a, if you're a teacher called mr cook and you were at Watch the city of out. london school in the early 1990s you cannot sleep uh, uh easy <laughs> what your right for the rest of your life because i am going to come and get or, or you get in way. touch and i'll mediate <laughs> i should say that from a legal point of view when i say come and get him i mean have a chat about it and get it out of my system i'm not um not, <laughs> Peter. Not, it's not a threat of violence or anything not, 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 well uh, so when i was when i was young i was quite aware of a sort of tit for tat relationship i had with my younger sister yeah. and i think siblings often have this there's a sort of there's a competition amongst siblings uh, uh but something that my, my sister developed a brilliant tactic that i've not been able i was never able to counter um that she would um to gain attention she would spontaneously start crying and blame me for doing something that i, <laughs> I just hadn't done and sometimes wasn't even in you know in the room uh and then i'd get chewed out for like hitting her or yeah. doing something but i thought that was a really really clever tactic 
but I'm you know, so, that you didn't but, have a Petri type solution. Well, well the Petri, the, the sort of six-year-old Petri type solution was just preemptive and just hit her anyway. <laughs> uh, I, think was, I can see. What, I think this is the cycle of violence. Yeah, yeah. So just preempt this kind of like. Well, um, but but maybe she thought she was preempting you hitting her by starting crying. Well, maybe but I I wasn't thinking that deeply at the time. <laughs> Um, yeah, no, my one is I was once on the motorway and I got cut up, cut up by this van. Uh, so I took down the number plate and I just and I just waited uh, a couple of months. Um, and also I knew sort of the firm who it was. And so two or three months later, I rang up the firm and I and I, and I told them that um, um, exactly what had happened, that it nearly caused an accident. Yeah. And because of that, he got fired. Um, That's a pro revenge, a Reddit pro revenge yeah. type story. Yeah, yeah. Cut me and up it, on the motorway. Two I'll ruin later, your life. Served yeah. Deliciously chilled. Exactly. Well. <laughs> um, no, I must confess, it's not true. I stole that from Gone Girl. Actually, oh, that's is, sad. Is that story? So, yeah. Um, right. We'll we'll wrap up there. Um, so, thank you as always for listening to the Cognitive Engineering Podcast. I'm Fraser McGrewer. We've been here with Nick Hare and Peter Coghill of Isle of Insights. Until next time. Goodbye. Mm-hmm.